Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined not by Lee once again. <laughs> no, we have a special guest host joining us for this episode. Uh, please, everyone, welcome back to the show, Eric. Yay. Hey, everyone. Yeah, it's been not that long since you were on, actually. It was... Mm. No, yeah. I did Life Aquatic yeah, with which you guys, was of course. Number 300, and this is 304. Yep. So. And before that, um, I think I said Solaris, but I think in between I joined you for another, and I, oh, anyway. Yeah, it, I haven't been on many for a while. Yeah. So. Mm. But uh, no, it's, a, it's good to have you, and uh, thought that this one could be interesting, given, you know, sci-fi plus Bowie. Yeah, you, that's you it. You never know. Yep. Um, so apologies? <laughs> no, no, no. It was, um, yeah, it was a lot Better than I thought it would be. Mm. Yeah. That, well, that's good. But, um, yeah, so how, how have you been? Have you seen anything anything new or interesting lately? Uh, yeah, I've been good. Um, I've seen a, a real mix of things. So you recommended everything everywhere all the time. Uh, all at once, yeah. <laughs> oh, all at once, yes. And um, so we, we went in it knowing nothing but the name. Yep. We just trusted your advice. Just so did, hadn't even seen a trailer no, or anything? No trailers, no nothing, no reviews, no anything. Just yep. you said it was really good. Yeah. And um, and it was really good, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was perfect it, It's one go I've, in that way. Yeah, I've recommended it to so many people and said just like, don't watch a trailer, don't read the synopsis, mm. just go in blind. Yep. And those the Daniels are something special. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it just kept twisting Further and further. So I won't give anything away to mm. anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, but um, it's weird and wonderful and just heartfelt and yeah. um, different. I um, I got a text from Lee the other day. Uh, she's finally now watched it as well. Yeah. Uh, so I want to throw it out. Uh, did uh, you, you went with Tina? I'm yes. Yep. Did either of you cry? I got pretty close. Yeah. Like it was it was plucking those heartstrings. It's, it's, which is amazing yeah. considering like what goes on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 20 minutes ago, we were here, yes. and now I'm about to start crying. But I think I mentioned that to Tina, and she said, oh, no, I didn't quite feel that way. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. But no, it was it was getting me. Yeah, I, I think I got texts from Lee, just <laughs> short round made me bald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, short round. He's so good. Yeah. yeah, that blew my mind when I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's short round. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, no, I've seen that. And then um, otherwise, like, Tina and I have been um, knocking out a few classics on um, on Netflix and things like that, so... She watched Muriel's Wedding for the first time Ooh, ever. What did she think of that? She really enjoyed it. Yeah, because we I showed her the trailer first, mm. um, and so it, the movie's a lot darker, yeah, than I remember it being. Yeah, but much better than I remember it being. Okay, well that's yeah. that's something then. Yeah, and um, um, Tony Collette's just a machine. What a fucking like breakthrough performance that oh, is. So good. Because I want to say she like timeline wise, I want to say she'd done like smaller roles in like Cosy and things like mm. maybe a year or two earlier. But like that's it's an explosive performance oh. to be like. She's so yeah. good and like just subtle things like when they're doing the ABBA um, performance at the, the retreat and at the start of that um, performance, Dancing Queen or whatever they're doing or Waterloo, she's just like stiff-armed and like freaking out and just yeah. like robotic and by the end she's just like come out of her shell but she just does it subtly throughout the performance. Mm, like, yeah. Oh. And the friendship between her and Rachel Griffiths is yeah. just so good. Yeah, amazing. Oh, is it Bill Hunter, come on. Bill Hunter, <laughs> can't go wrong with Bill Hunter. Yeah. Plays the same character every time. Mm. But that, that's cool because it's, it's a very Australian yep. movie and very, 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 very 90s Australian Very 90s well. Aussie. So um, it's, it's good to hear that Tina kind of at least really, enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. And otherwise, 
guys. Um, we had a bit of a sci-fi double. We did Arrival and then we did Interstellar. Oh, nice. I liked Interstellar more the second time. Okay. Because I was ready for the weird bit at the end and it made more sense the second time around. Yep. Still don't 100% agree. Anyway, liked yeah. it a lot more. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't worry. This is a safe space. Um, I... I think Interstellar is at best a two and a half star film. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I would rate it higher, but um, maybe not quite maybe as high as the internet. Pushing maybe a three, maybe. But yeah, yeah. This time around, I liked it a lot more. Yeah. Um, and then finally, um, Groundhog Day, which ironic, funnily enough, we watched on election night here in Australia, <laughs> yeah. and I was praying that it wouldn't be a Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from last elections. So. That was a good, like, so you were able to switch off on the night and not. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of tracking it the littlest bit on the phone. But yeah. Um, yeah. So Tanya had never seen Groundhog Day either. Oh, wow. Um, that, that's that's a special movie, that one. Yeah, no, it actually holds up really well because Bill Murray can be a bit creepy sometimes. A bit? Yeah, <laughs> um, And he's only a bit creepy in that one. But, yeah, but, but he learns to so. not be creepy yeah, by yeah, the end of it. Less so. And, yeah. um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Mm. I recently found out that that's been turned into a Broadway musical. Yeah, okay, you could do that and on stage. I want to say it's Tim Minchin did the... Oh, yeah, I could picture him doing that. Because he did the Matilda one yeah, as well. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need to keep an eye out for the Groundhog Day musical. That would work because you wouldn't yeah. leave any sets. No. You could do them really well. Yeah, and um, just the recurring small cast and things. Yep, yep. Could be interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. I yeah, haven't listened to any of it yet, but I'm like, no. all right, that's, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but um, yourself, films? Um, heaps, I know, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, heaps, heaps. Um, any major recommendations? Interestingly enough, last night I went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah, I've... It seems to be getting pretty good reviews. Yeah, I, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. There you go. Uh, I think I gave it a four on letter, four out of five on Letterboxd. Wow. Like, okay. So the I think, as I said to Claire last night, it's like okay, we're we're about to hit June. Like we're yeah. we're almost at the like halfway mark of the year. And currently I have a Michael Bay film and a Top Gun sequel in my top films of the year. <laughs> what is didn't, going on? Didn't think you'd be saying that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think like I think my letterbox review was like I came for the planes but I stayed for the metatextual narrative. Wow. <laughs> it, it's it's why I think I loved it so much is it's the first film Tom Cruise has ever made about being old. Ah, interesting. And kind of reckoning with that and like letting the past go and moving on. What a perfect movie to do it in. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of amazing. <laughs> and then, you. like, I can't recommend enough. Like, it, I know some people are still hesitant going back to the cinemas and things. See it on the biggest screen you yeah. can. Like, it's it's real pretty. <laughs> Does Tom... I mean, he would have asked to fly the jets. I'm assuming he yep. did. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of... It's... I was watching an interview with him and they apparently worked with... um some of the camera departments and with the Navy and basically created new styles of cameras to be able to fit in cockpits of like F-18s and stuff. And wow. Yeah, film it properly. Like it's like all the actors are in the planes. And yeah, that's what I'd heard. I heard yeah. that they were genuine it's in cabin shots. Yeah. Um, and I will say Miles Teller, a young actor, I'm not, you know, he's fine. Like, you yep. know, he's in Whiplash, but like he's serviceable in Whiplash. <laughs> yep, yep. Um possibly the best casting I've ever seen having him play uh, Anthony like young Goose like Goose's son interesting <laughs> like, yeah he looks so much like Anthony Edwards <laughs> it's creepy awesome yeah. cool well that's good to know that because yeah like I said I've heard genuinely it seems to be pretty popular so it's, yeah cool. I mean obviously it's not you know Lawrence of Arabia or something like you know you don't <laughs> if you go in with expectations of I'm going to watch a 36 year later yeah. Top Gun sequel. Yeah. Um, 
you will have a good time. Yeah, cool. Yeah. If you like the first Top Gun, you'll probably like this one. Oh, you'll love it. I say this as someone who's very lukewarm on the first Top Gun. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, so that'd be my recommendation as of late. I like that. No, cool. Yeah. But um, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to just do some quick follow-on from our last one, which was Bad Timing. Uh, got a couple of like listener comments and emails yeah, and stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, also uh, some nice discussion happening on the Patreon. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, pa- patron Andrew Jarrett says, uh, This is a seriously flawed film. There is no sexual black hole as dense as Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> so I listened to this podcast um, only this morning for bad timing, and I had yeah. a great time listening to, to Chris and Claire dissect it. Mm, thank so you. I. Um, <laughs> Already appreciate that comment. <laughs> uh, yeah, he then goes on to say, like, Nicholas, this is a rogue's first mistake. Um, first mistake was casting. Every director has at least one of those films in their filmography, yeah, and okay. this is it. Um, and he also submitted a tagline, which I think uh, everyone has agreed is the winner, which is a bridge over troubled people. <laughs> Yeah. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll throw out another uh, another patron. Keelan has said just openly says I hated this film. <laughs> totally pointless and boring with terrible performances. Um, yeah, and then sort of uh, that, that's kind of about it. We're all kind of looking forward to cool. revisiting Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, and I'm not going to watch Bad Timing. Yeah, it's it's a very missable film. Yeah, if I mean that makes like. Sense. If someone puts it in front of me, I'll watch it. But there's a lot of movies I'll watch first. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of the films you watch for this podcast, it is, there's so many that are just wholly forgettable. Mm. Like it's, there are certain ones though, like, you know, even if they're not great films or like, you know, you're like, oh, that was good. Yeah. There'll still be like the odd moment or the imagery that yeah. will kind of stick with you. Yep. Like, um, I watched the new Mission Impossible trailer and I'm like, oh, that looks like it's a reference to La Notte Bianchi. Like, it's just like, you're like yeah. Which I wouldn't put it past them. But yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, the imagery stays and sticks with you. Nothing from bad timing is going to stick with me. No, except the bad things. Except the bad things like <laughs> Garfunkel's ball bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, speaking of ball bags, yeah. uh, the man who fell to earth. <laughs> and that was a good transition right there. Yes, thank you. I, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> uh, the man who fell to earth is a daring exploration of science fiction as an art form. The story of an alien on an elaborate rescue mission provides the launching pad for Nicholas Rogue's visual tour de force, a formerly adventurous examination of alienation in contemporary life. Rock legend David Bowie, in his acting debut, completely embodies the title role, while Candy Clark, Buck Henry, and Rip Torn turn in pitch-perfect supporting performances. This film's hallucinatory vision was obscured in, Amer- in the American theatrical release, which deleted nearly 20 minutes of crucial scenes and details. Criterion is, cr- is proud to present Nicholas Rogue's full uncut vision, a version of this exclusive new director's approved high definition widescreen transfer. <laughs> ah, awesome. Kind of rambled off there at the end, but yes. Yeah, cool. So, okay. So we watched the director's cut, basically. Yes. Yep. Uh, which, uh, yeah, it was heavily edited uh, upon its theatrical release in the US. And I believe in the UK, they were able to release it uncut with an X rating. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. mm. you'd lose, as wacky as some of those scenes I can imagine would have been cut. Yeah. They are important. Yeah, especially towards the end when you said we, we're getting real fear and loathing-y. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, I can. You can see the senses of the time being like, no, thank you. Yeah. But it's like no, this. This kind of matters. This matters a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes. Yeah, so uh, Nicholas Rogue films. It's, so you listen to the bad timing I did. episode. Yes. So, so I've seen the witches. You've seen the witches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen the witches. Not walkabout. You're... No, I've never seen oh, walkabout. Okay. Um, yeah. I would like to though because yeah. I, I know you're a big fan. Um, mm. I definitely haven't seen the um, the Jagger one. Um, Performance, yeah, yeah, or and the then, or thing, the one in between. Um, oh, I, I don't look now. Yeah, the Donaldson. I reckon you'd probably dig that one as well. Yeah, you made it sound good. Yeah, that's so, a, it's a bit of a fun thriller. That one. Um, um, but yeah, I guess initial thoughts on on this one. Yeah, so it, it was like I said, it was a lot better than I thought I'd be. So you, when you messaged me just to sort of confirm that we could do this, I re- I watched the trailer with Tina, who's like. I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, how the fuck did they market this film? Oh, the trailer was not good. Yeah. Um, and so I, I messaged you back. I just literally said, I watched the trailer and it looks terrible. So needless to say, I'm very interested. Um, that's, off, that's straight out of WhatsApp. Um, it was so much better than the trailer implied. Um, the trailer just used a lot of the footage of him being dragged away and things like that. Okay. Um, so it made it look like it's a, hey, an alien comes and then government experiments, but yeah. like really we shot it for a buck fifty. Yeah, basically. So yeah. it just looked like alien lands on Earth, alien gets taken away by government kind of thing. Yeah. Um, None of this extra character sort of and mission or anything like that. So Not like a 30-year span of time or something like yeah. that we end up having. And exactly. Yeah. Um, so, no, it was, it was a lot. Like, I, I, you know, I'd never found myself wandering um, really or bored or anything like that yeah. um, or just laughing at the film. Like, no, Yeah, you're never kind of purposefully laughing at Not what's at all. happening on no, the screen. No, which from the trailer was like, oh, is this going to be one of those... Is this, a, is this a bad movie night movie? Yeah, this is a bad movie. We've done some of those and this can be one of them. Not at yeah. all. No. So it's, that's what I mean. Like even with bad timing, like I know I was just saying before, like nothing will probably stick with me with that film. But the thing about Nicholas Rogue films is like, even while you're watching them, you're not bored. No. And, and I think you were saying like when we're watching it, like you can really tell his history at working as a cinematographer yeah. and a camera operator. Like early on, some of those shots are, Beautiful. Yeah, he knows how to make a visually arresting film. Yeah. Whether or not you're able to connect with it, what the visuals yeah. are putting forth is another thing. That's a different part. Yeah, there's. I think one reason why you're never bored is there's not a lot of dialogue. No. In a way, like Bowie doesn't go on big, long, extended conversations. No. Um, he just kind of drinks gin and stares around and then occasionally he'll have an actual conversation he does like watching television though he loves his tv which is like a, a, that's why the stuff that i like with this film is the like you see him sitting there in a room full of like six mm. seven televisions randomly placed and you're like it's just visually interesting but it i don't is. get why why this and then you later find out it's like oh he that's how he and his like planet like found out about earth and humans and stuff it's like yeah. oh they absorb everything through television so it's an he's it, yeah yeah and that escalation like i think when he first moves into that um hotel room and he just wants a television and then we see him a little bit later and um you know there's like six TVs sort of rigged up and really well from a set design point of view really yeah. well sort of spaced around and that's it, it just keeps you busy gives you a lot to look at mm. and um, what's her name again? Uh, Mary Lou. Mary Lou walks in. <laughs> yeah. She does all the talking. He's just watching the TV, but you're still kind of absorbed. Yeah. There's just a kind of a lot going on. The question. Okay, here's a question for you. Did at any point, uh, I mean, around this time in the film, mm. did you forget he was an alien? 
Never, never. <laughs> no, because of that opening scene. Like, yeah. It, yeah. even though you'd never see, you don't see his alien form, so to speak, till that first sort of like shot of, of his planet. Um, mm. No, I never, never forgot. But he is very human throughout it, so to speak. Yeah, or it's almost that thing of like the film takes kind of big chunks where it kind of takes a back step and just mm. almost ex- it becomes like a re- relationship drama at one yeah. point. Uh, something like you know one about capitalism. <laughs> like yes. It yep. really just tries to delve into all these different things, but through the perspective of, I guess, our protagonist is from another planet, not Lithuania. Love that. Yeah. Just was not expecting that answer. Yeah. That's a very <laughs> rip-torn question to ask. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no. Remember to was nailing, but you're spot on. It was very human. Mm. So much of the content or, yeah, scenes. And, yeah. Yep. It, it, to the point that it makes me wonder, like, it's... It's a hard film to kind of unpack. Um, this, I, this is the third time I've seen it. Okay. Um, yep. I think the first time I saw it was back in high school, and I was like, huh, what? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah we've gone straight over my head <laughs> then. Like, what is this? And then um, maybe sort of last time was probably about 10 years ago I watched yep. it. I, I watched it again. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I like what this film's doing, and I like in particular the perform like the trippy visuals and stuff mm. as well. I think it's... The surrealism is what really because kind of jumps out. They're trippy without being too over the top. No. That's no. what I quite liked about them. Like they use some interesting audio, like the whale sounds and stuff, to sort of um, throw some extra sort of effect and weight behind scenes. Yeah. But they don't go full on like space odyssey trips and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, there's stuff like early on, you were, like when he first arrives and – He's walking along the train tracks and there's just the sound of a train. And mm. you were like, that better not just be train noise because there's a train in the background. Yep. And it becomes such a central theme. Because it's also like the way I in- interpreted all of that, like all that kind of echoic stuff is the the fact that he's absorbed and all of his knowledge from Earth comes from television and yeah. things like that. So when he sees something like a train, he just has the image of what oh, the sorry the noise of what yeah, that yeah, image yeah, provokes really so that's yep. why it's kind of using we're watching him kind of grow and learn what things are in that way on earth and then as time goes on those kind of drop away because yes. he's acclimatized and I he realizes that television lies it doesn't teach you things i think he says or yes something. yeah which is like the wonderful thing because if you were like <laughs> like yeah, if you were just being beamed television, you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, you spend a prolonged time, you're like, uh, and have context for what it is. Mm. You're like, oh, this is just garbage. <laughs> yeah, this is all fiction. Yeah, this is all a documentary and yeah. yep. reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it, it's kind of going back to it. It's it's a hard one to kind of unpack what yeah. Rogue is trying to say, I guess. And it's one where I'm wondering if it's just... Like, A, we've got this cool sci-fi story um, yeah. from this book that's about 10 years old at this point mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Walter Tevis, and then, which was kind of really a um, post-war indictment, or like, you know, a critique on post-war. Yep. It's like, basically about, like, hey, this, this guy's coming because war has utterly destroyed his planet. That's yeah. why he, like, yeah. Yeah. That sort of... I was you assuming don't be that careful. Because, like, I was watching it and I'm like, oh, climate change. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Because yeah. well, it's where we are now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it was more a kind of cautionary war. Yep. And they've deviated from the book quite a bit. Yep. And it's, it makes me wonder, like, okay, so he's commenting on, like, yeah, is it 
capitalism, post-war greed, yep. post-war greed, mm-hmm. um, environmentalism, yep. uh, sexual politics, yep. relationships, the media. It's it's like he just kind of threw a whole bunch of paint at a canvas, and particularly using Bowie, um, who is theoretically perfectly cast for this, because Bowie's whole sort of like. I'm not a Bowie expert. I not like a lot of his music, but you know his whole early image of this androgynous. I mean, Ziggy Stardust was basically an alien. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, you know, it's meant to be this enigma or, um, or whatever. And um, yes, he's like the perfect cast, perfect. Carrie's got an alter ego that already pre-exists, so there's like this meta well, kind like, of immersion. I think by this time he's kind of gone from because this is late 70s is he into the thin white duke kind of period or is that early 80s i did have a little bit of a discography peak just before (laughs) heroes was in 77 yeah okay yeah yeah. so So he's he's in yeah he's hitting the mainstream yeah (laughs) he's no longer trippy alien man no no that part's passed yeah yeah and he's um yeah heavily yeah thin white duke (laughs) heavily into the the coke and the yep all of that at the moment (laughs) yeah it certainly looked like it yeah but it's watching the film again i get the real sense of there isn't necessarily one over overarching like thematic thing going for it. No, it's just it's a pastiche, I guess. Yeah, which is what I think I really liked about. It. Like I was wondering if it was trying to yeah send one strong individual message or um, like the story is easy enough to follow. Mm. Um, I don't think. I mean, once once the, you get all the breadcrumbs and all the yeah. pieces, yeah. Because for the first little while, you were a bit like, wh- like yeah. wh- what? <laughs> which I quite liked. I'm like, what is his motivation? Yeah. Like he's just. In this country, he's getting these patents sort of sorted out. You're like, okay, so he's, he's making money. We know that seems to be his drive, but what for? And that, I think, actually kept me kind of interested because it was moving fast enough and things were changing, but I'm like, I don't know what he's here for. This is cool. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it really is. That's what makes it engaging. It's mm. like you, it doesn't tell you what's happening. It's yep. only by sort of the end of the film you realise like, oh, so he's, you know, gone through and become like like <laughs> like – a multi-billionaire industrialist yep. for the sake of being able to invest in a space program to be able to get back home. To save his planet with clean energy. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, but you, you've never explicitly told us this. No, just kind of a couple of little... Because um, that's it. There was no real, like, exposition. Um, there were a couple of few, like, random, like, Scorsese voiceovers. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, two <laughs> points where you've got, like, one from Buck Henry and one yep. from um, Rip Torn where you're just like, yeah... <laughs> They're just like a bit of, bit of filler over the top. Um, I wonder if that totally was like the studio just being like, for the for fuck's sake, Nicholas, <laughs> like we need to, we need something. <laughs> no one knows, like this passage of time, which we'll probably talk about now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why not now? <laughs> um, passage of time in this film is vague and it works well. At best. <laughs> vague at best. The, for like the first like, at least three quarters of the film, the only character who visibly ages is um, is Buck, um, who just sort of goes greyer and wrinklier. Where it's like almost that thing of like, okay, this could be a plausible like, you know, five to ten years if, hey, he's gone from patent lawyer to like Rupert Murdoch. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like Andrew, like, you know, Jeff Bezos and things. Mm. Like, you know, to this head of this multi-billion dollar company and industrialized industry, essentially. Yeah. Um, that'd probably give you a couple of grey hairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But he's the only one. Who, and then at the very end, the others age. Yeah. Um, like Mary Lou ages. Yeah. And Wikipedia is not kind. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll pull up the exact quote because uh, how Wikipedia breaks down uh, synopses. 
uh, I thought this would uh, this was great. Uh, towards the end of Newton's years of captivity, he's visited again by Mary Lou, who is now much older and who looks like she's been ravaged by alcohol and time. <laughs> it's savage. <laughs> who wrote that? <laughs> Poor Candy Clark. Yeah, I mean, the makeup cosmetic, it's, it's not great either. You say that, but I thought it was incredible how you don't notice really until the end of the film that for like 90% of the runtime, um, they've done a brilliant job de-aging Rip Torn with makeup. Because <laughs> when, when the beard comes out and you're like, yeah, there's the Rip I know. That's, that's Rip Torn right there. Who was that young guy earlier? I did not, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Do we want to talk about Rip Torn now while we're on him? Please, can we? Oh, my God. Because like, when he first showed up, you did you recognize him? I actually didn't until I kind of heard his voice enough times and you kind of mentioned like oh that's right that's him that sounds yeah. like someone just who is like using sulfuric acid as mouthwash yeah. <laughs> just... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is such a weird and wild interesting dude like he I, I wanna, certainly is i want to pull up his imdb because obviously people of our generation like we i mean i'm assuming you weren't a larry sanders guy no yeah so i i kind of knew him a bit from larry the larry sanders show yeah and then of course like men in black is probably the first thing yeah and of course at that age you know i didn't never remember his name but i remember him as uh, what? zed 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 that's say. right yep i'm thinking of james bond obviously um and then uh and then of course dodgeball yeah. Um, and then um, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, 30 Rock is Don Geis yes, as well. Yes, Don Geis. I mean, he yeah. just plays like rich capitalists very well. Yeah. Um, Jeez, he's good as Don Geis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, a big one for me is uh, him playing Tom Green's dad in <laughs> Freddy Godfinger. <laughs> I actually <laughs> never saw that. If you want to watch like 80 minutes of just Tom Green doing Tom Green and befuddling... Drip torn to a point of screaming anger. <laughs> I would have liked that when I was 16, and now I don't know if I can handle 80 minutes. Uh, it's it's an interesting one. <laughs> I'm looking through his filmography. So, yeah, then, I mean, he, it's long. Um, he is an Oscar nominee as well. Is he really? Yeah, uh, for a movie called Cross Creek. Okay. I've never seen. Put that on the list. Yeah, what's Cross Creek about? Oh, it's a Martin Ritt film. Mary Steenburgen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Set in the 1930s in the backwaters of Florida. A young woman writing about peace. Okay, yeah. I could picture Brip Torn in Florida. <laughs> I don't peace, though. <laughs> I'm picturing more on the back of an airboat. Yeah. A fa- oh, the fan. He can definitely get yeah, a fan, fan boat. Going, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if they had those in the 30s. But... Yeah. But you know, just looking through his career, it's, it's like the 1960s is just a lot of TV guest appearances, like, yep. you know, Man from Uncle, Rawhide, um, stuff oh, like yeah. that. Yep. And then slowly getting into movies and, yeah. it. But he is a weird and wild, interesting man. <laughs> he is. He, he certainly is. And you can see why he's got cast in his later years quite a lot yeah. for these quite odd energetic roles because he just brings it he's unique um, he, he's someone as well like why it was hard to recognize him initially is he's someone similar to like a tommy lee jones where you yeah. just assume they were born old yes like it, it's a real benjamin button situation benjamin button, <laughs> just came out as an 80 year old yeah. and stayed, stayed 80 and then turned 90 eventually <laughs> exactly <laughs> Like you, you expect him to be one of those because I've watched re- like during the lockdowns and stuff. I went back and watched a whole bunch of 
like early Tommy Lee Jones movies, like mm. B grade weird movies. Oh, wow. Like this movie called Black Moon Rising, written by John Carpenter. Oh, golly. About yeah, right. like he steals a space car, but then like, <laughs> like, and but then has to break into a building with a space. It's so weird, cool. so bad, but kind car. of fun. <laughs> um, but it's it's like all these bad Tommy Lee Jones movies, but he looks. Like Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. and he's like 28. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. Some people, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? How some people just born ancient. Ancient, yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm born like, I'm still don't, I, I look like maybe I'm 18. I still get ID'd and I'm 35. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I've had a beard for however long. It's like, so I actually kind of look my age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no, it's slowly, yeah, now I've Ages. The last couple of years is getting to me. <laughs> You're visibly ravaged. Yeah, I'm ravaged by <laughs> ravaged by time and alcohol. <laughs> Just Get, like Mary Lou. It gets us all. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'd be remiss. Uh, Eric, I teased uh, while we were recording. I'm like, do you know the famous Rip Torn story? <laughs> and <laughs> I don't. I don't. And I, I he hasn't told me yet. So I mean, it's uh, listeners. If you know, you probably. <laughs> understand where this is going but in uh january of 2010 uh rip torn was arrested mm-hmm. uh the uh, basically he was charged with trying to break into a bank <laughs> yep um and his it, he was very drunk yeah and his excuse was he thought it was his house oh god i want to see his house <laughs> <laughs> well okay that's it like everyone kind of focused in on his uh, mugshot which i'm showing eric there. <laughs> he just looks so pleasantly surprised he looks exactly like he's like it's a deleted scene from dodgeball he looks like that character to me it looks like he's at mcdonald's and they've asked him if he wants fries with that and he's not sure how to answer <laughs> He looks like a confused grandpa. He does. But here's the thing. So it's like, okay, that's... Everyone initially was just like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, how drunk was he? He thought a bank was his house. And then you see a photo of the bank and you're like, okay, hang on a sec. <laughs> like, there's a side by side. Oh, what a bank. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's... You that's can, legit. You could conceivably see how a drunk 80-year-old could get confused with that. That's just a converted house. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Give the man a break. I hope he got acquitted. Uh, no. Aww. I think, yeah, because he was also, like, driving at the time. Like, <laughs> it's kind of what killed his career as well. Like, yeah. Breaking into a bank will do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he thought it was his house. And, that, and to be honest, everyone look it up because it it's, seriously looks like a house. It really is. It's like, because I used to laugh at that anecdote for years until I heard someone be like, oh, give him the benefit of the doubt. Because I'm picturing like a massive Manhattan bank with yeah, like, like the, Roman columns yeah, or and something. like, you know, glass sliding doors <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Like, no, no, no. Nah, this has a front door handle and a knocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like... <sighs> I think this is a good way to kind of keep going with the episode is just kind of address the cast members. Um, Because narratively, like, what are we going to... It's like, I don't know, he decides... He makes a bunch of patterns and then he decides to move back by the lake where his ship crashed and then... He gets, that. gets on to find, discovers gin. <laughs> yeah. They have sex a whole bunch. <laughs> oh, we'll get onto that too. Yeah. But um, Candy Clark, what, what did you... I'm guessing you probably haven't seen much of her. No, I don't think I've seen much of um, her. She, at this point in time, is, I think... Four years off her, an Oscar nomination for she was in uh, one of the leads of um, American Graffiti, the George Lucas movie. Is that the one about the 
No, that's American Splendor. I've seen American Splendor. I get all the American movies oh, mixed up. American Splendor. I love that movie. Yeah, um, that was a weird movie. Anyway, yeah. no, I haven't seen American Graffiti. Yeah, that is George Lucas's like, it's, it's essentially what inspired Happy Days. I think I meant to see American Graffiti yeah. and I watched American Splendor instead. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh boy, I can't wait to watch a movie about the 40s and kids driving cars up and down the street. It was weird comic book sort of thing going on. <laughs> Why is Paul Giamatti so angry? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so she got nominated in that. Yeah, yeah, because that was a big kind of George Lucas kind of coming out because he'd yep. made THX 1138 and essentially mm. bankrupted Francis Ford Coppola's company. <laughs> I have heard about that. Um, yeah. And from that, then he goes off and makes the studio picture to kind of redeem yeah. and it's a massive cultural hit. Um, yep. Yeah, it, uh, stars Ron Howard, Richard yeah. Dreyfuss, uh, one of the first roles of Harrison Ford in there. Oh, really? Essentially okay. playing like the Ben Affleck of Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it's very Dazed and Confused. Yeah. It's like the, it takes place over this course of a night. That's and it's what I was like, expecting. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah she's uh, one, of the, uh, one of the leads in that. Yeah. So yeah, she's a big kind of up and coming young actress and things. Mm. And um, I don't know her from much else, to be honest. No, I thought she was pretty good. Like, she's got one of those voices that could be really annoying. And she's obviously in a role with a very talkative character on purpose. Yes. And um, But it didn't really bother me too much. Occasionally, I just kind of catch myself and she's like, oh, she's got one of those voices. Yeah, I think it was the point where she's, like, yelling into his ear, like, Tommy, Tommy, yeah. Tommy. And just like, Ugh. oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he can hear you. <laughs> yeah, he can hear you. But, no, I thought she did a really good job. And for someone who... Like, you know, for some of the scenes, you had to go swing for the hills yeah. with those scenes. Um, that was a sort of role where if you went in half-hearted, you'd, it would be awful. Yeah. Um, it'd be scrappy and terrible. And, um, nah, she went for it. She got put in um, in old-person makeup and went for it. Yeah, um, Re- really hard as hard, well. Yeah, and then, like, even the touching sort of sort of emotional scenes over, like, the, um, the table tennis table and things like that. And yeah, which could have been played so... That could have been so rough, that scene. Yeah. Like, we've clearly seen these people who have just absolutely deteriorated. Mm. And they, they, like, they're both playing it hard. Like, yeah. they're going for it. And, it, it, and there's just something about how they managed to pull it off. It's, it's endearing and sweet and heartbreaking instead mm. of laughable, I guess. Yep, yep. Because, like, she was, like, her infatuation with him is just so palpable yeah and and real and um, you can tell it from the first time they meet as yeah. well like yeah. it's essentially like it's she carries him <laughs> like yeah, you know, literally carries literally him. carries you know <laughs> mops him up yeah cleans him up good exactly makes and him it's, an alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's that thing of like i mean all of these these kind of three main supporting characters out of them like she is the one that like because uh jerome is it Jer- Thomas Jerome New- Newton? Or I forget yeah. if it's Jerome Thomas or Thomas Thomas, no, Tom, Thomas Tommy, Jerome. Tommy, yeah. Um, David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, he doesn't really have a character arc. He's kind of just a bit of a vessel. Yes, which probably suits the alien character yeah. in general. Like he doesn't um, become disenfranchised with humans mm. or anything like that in particular. And um, I wonder if that's kind of a choice of like from Nicholas Rogue by the idea of he is an extraterrestrial, so we're not going to try and imbue kind of uh, emotional empathy or mm. have the audience relate to him directly. But instead, we're going to put all the narrative and the emotional growth onto these supporting characters and make them essentially 
change and their lives are affected it, through him. Particularly because he doesn't age either. So yeah. they, they, we see their change visually and, um, and behaviorally. Um, but he does seem to have empathy and, and understanding. Like he, he, you know, he leaves her yeah. money and he, yeah. so he genuinely. Oh, he's, he's not a, like complete. Not at all. No, so yeah. it's quite interesting because he doesn't, he's not like outwardly um, empathetic, like you said, but like he doesn't want her to be alone at the end of the film and yeah. things like that. He doesn't want her to be lonely. He carries no animosity towards her mm. or Nate who just like abandoned him. Yeah. Um, but I'm more meaning like, I guess from where he is at the beginning of the film mm. to where he is at the end. He's just the same. He's, he's the same except for he's a alcoholic now. Yeah. Like, and exactly right. Which, um, you know, apply onto that what you will, like, you know, it's, Hey, the weight of humanity and blah, blah, blah. Hey, like, does this to us all. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it is fascinating because he does seem to enjoy his time with Mary Lou. Yeah. And like, obviously they're physically attracted to each other. Mm. Um, and, you know, he builds her a house and wants her to live with him. He appreciates her company. But yeah. um, that's just his character. It's really, yeah, it's a very mm. interesting one. And and I think because of that, it's uh, Candy Clark's performance in particular, I think is the one that does the heavy lifting yes. and all the emotional impact and kind of guides us as an audience through it. And I think she fucking nails it. Yeah, she's got to show the heartbreak at feeling yeah. like he, she's given everything to him in, a, in her own way and mm. then he's just going to leave anyway because that's just his mission. Yeah. Um, she knew about his wife. Um, yeah. Maybe she hopes that that wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah, and so, you know, she, exactly right. She just... Hmm. And, like, you think about where she, her... Like, the arc of her performance, like, where she starts as a character when we first meet her as this real naive young hotel worker who just it finds this guy engaging for some reason yeah. and just wants to sit and talk with him all night. Mm. And that final shot of like when she leaves in the morning and the sun's coming up and it's just a happy woman who's like met someone she really enjoys is walking off yes. as the sunrise. It's like, and then trans, like compare that to where she is at the end of like the drunk in the tennis outfit. Like, oh, like God, yeah. this descent has been beautifully portrayed I yes think. and kind of subtly in a way <laughs> until the end mm. um exactly right like she stays with him because she enjoys his company and finds a connection yeah she doesn't know that he's wealthy or anything like that um it's just she, she thought his name was mr sussex yes that's <laughs> yeah. it and um no they just seem to strike it off so to speak and mm. um yeah it's a really interesting little arc mm. um and Nate's arc is pretty interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> Starting off as a college professor into 18-year-olds. Yeah. Is that essentially it? Essentially, oh, no, college, yeah. like lecturer or something like that. No, he's that. a professor. professor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got this, he's, he's like, thing is that I think he's disenfranchised or something. So he's like hooked on the students basically. Yeah, just banging 18-year-olds because... <laughs> Yeah, he and doesn't know what else. He's trying to desperately grab onto his youth or like some connection. Something like he's yeah. nostalgic for the past and what he used to be or something. I just rip Torn's mumbling at the same time. You don't even oh, know what he's talking about when so he's trying to like wonderful. that transition scene where he leaves the universe and he's sort of explaining or, or talking through his like disenfranchisement and how much he hates the dean or something. He's like, I just year olds. It's just like the script was just like mumble incoherently. Yeah, I said like if we turned on the subtitles, it would have been a mumbles incoherently. Just, ugh. But yeah, like Rip is good. He doesn't, like... He's essentially the vessel for exposition almost. Like He almost is, yeah. He's the one where like it's... Bowie is like... Thomas is able to kind of get across like what... Like, the, the seeds of what he's planning to do, like, yep. with the, you know, energy and the spaceship and all of this stuff. Like, he 
Bryce is there to be able to be that bouncing board for him. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. To kind of get that information across to the audience. And yeah, I, he's good, but like, yeah. to me, he's not, he's really the weakest of the four. Yeah. It's a funny one. Cause like, um, what's Buck's character's name? Uh, Farnsworth. Farnsworth. Of course it is. Yes. Um, he's not in it actually that much. No. Like early on, you're like, oh, he's going to be the Lucius Fox yeah, character. <laughs> um, that was yeah. my thought. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're the guy kind of gets in the loop, out of the loop, and then you're um, gonna kind of day to day operations. You're gonna understand and um, be like Twig and be like, this guy's an alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna be that guy, um, yeah. the secret keeper. But then he just kind of got sort of phased out and replaced by um by Rip's character. Um, yeah, and I I just I don't mind that though. Just any bit of Buck Henry I can get in my life, I'm happy with. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he's in um, it enough. Yeah, he yeah. had the setup side of things, mm. and then he just kind of ran the company from the background. Because he's like. He, he, He's a, such an interesting dude. Like, mm. I mean, got uh, his career is primarily as a writer. Yeah. Um, fucking co-created Get Smart. Did he? <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, wrote the screenplay for The Graduate and things. Gosh. Um, all right. Uh, but then b- was still a comedic performer. Was yep. all over the early years of SNL, like yep. a whole bunch of things. Really and interesting. Would pop up doing like small acting roles like this and. Yep. Um, you know, co-directed Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty and things like yep. interesting career. Yeah, and, gosh, okay. But it's it's one like whenever I get to see him pop up in something, I'm just it puts a smile on my face. Yeah, like, just, yes, he's on screen. Exactly. It's like ah, oh, Buck Henry's here. We're in good hands. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like for me, like I'm currently in a bit of a like a Taika Waititi obsession, mm-hmm. and he's such a good writer and mm. cre- like you know so creative and different and he's a great director but he, i just love him on screen yeah like what, what's what's a favorite at the moment or one that uh, you i mean like we've, we've oh, done pretty well actually um recently we finished watching um our flag means death oh which how is, is it totally different yeah it's good it's good it's very very different because mm. we've um we're re-watching what we do in the shadows the show yeah and absolutely love it like he's not in it much but when he's in it I'm like Ooh, there he is <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but um just Still, my favorite probably is Boy. Yeah, that that's mine as well. There's something about it. I don't know. It's just like maybe it's that simple little debut or semi debut kind of film, that yeah. low key sort of one. Like Eagle I'm, Eagle versus Sharks, good. I still haven't seen that. Oh, okay, yeah. that, that one to me, it's it's very much a early two thousands kind of like around that two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah. Like, hey, Napoleon Dynamite and Garden State and these type of movies. Yes, are popping up. It's sort of like, like indie kind of. Yeah. Yep. But it's, I'd also recommend going, if you can track down um, Before Eagle vs. Shark, he was, got nominated for an Oscar for Best Short Film. Oh. Yeah. I think, I'm, I'm going to look it up. I think it's called like One Car, t- like Two Cars, One Night or something. Yeah. And it's about a bunch of Maori guys like going and like carjackings yeah. and stuff. Well, like yeah. it's shot in black and white. Cool. Um, Really lovely and has, it's like, yeah, Two Cars, One Night. Um. From 2005. Awesome. All right, I'll hunt it down. Because, yeah, because that's, to me, like, someone I can relate to who's, yeah, probably best known or best, I guess, awarded for his um, creative work and his yeah. behind the camera. But mm. I just, yeah, like, for me, that I'm like, anytime you put him in front of the camera, yeah, it's like, oh. it's <laughs> He's so, mm. I recently saw as well, like, his, uh, when when he was at the Oscars yep. for that short film and stuff and they do the whole thing of like best short and like, you know, not like two cars, one night, Taika Waititi, director or whatever. And they cut to them in the audience. Yep. He's pretending to be asleep. And then when everyone applauds, he's like, what? He's, being he's like, oh, so you've been Taika Waititi even from when you were yeah. like, holy crap, I'm at the Oscars. It's like a you know, 20 yep. year old. Like, Love it. Yeah. He's just yeah. like, this is who I am. I'm confident with who I am. And um, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I guess speaking of people that are who they are yeah. and confident, we got to get on to Bowie. We do. Yeah. Yep. Our first performance by the man mm. as an actor. Yeah. And it's it's subdued, I will say. I think it's pretty well done. Like, yeah. if you're going to cast a non-actor, like some of them are freaks and he does a pretty good job. Like some, some people are obscenely talented, but it's a little, it reminds me a little bit of putting, making Arnie the Terminator first. Yes. Like yeah. just smart decision. Finding so like, okay, you're clearly this type of person and like, we're going to put you in a role that is directly mm. suited to what your abilities are yep. at this point in time. And then, you, you know, from there he evolved um, and things like that. Mm. And um, for this, like making Bowie an alien was, it just, it just made sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, he carried it in really well. Like, it sounds like Art Garfunkel was not a great actor. No, he was not. Um, whereas this, He I'm gave like, it a go. <laughs> he gave it had a crack. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I never had any issues with Bowie's performance at all. Like, I, I don't... I didn't think, like, wow, he is blowing me away. Yeah. But I never thought this is cringy or anything like that. I'm like, this is good. No, and I think yeah. as well the, the atmosphere and tone of the film kind of helps with that. I think so. I think he was really well directed, well shot. Like, yeah. I loved that scene where he was watching 12 TVs at once or whatever and just freaking out gradually and it was flipping. In, in the weird, like, dentist chair yeah. with a remote thing. Really like. reminded me of Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Um, where he's pin- got his eyelids pinned back. Um, and he's just like facial expression and they were like flipping back. It was really well edited. Yeah. Like just, I was just hypnotized by that scene. It, it's crazy. And like mm. how the dialogue, it kind of starts creating a narrative almost between yeah. the audio that you're hearing on TV. Like yeah. transitions perfectly. really cool. That was really impressive. It man. was an early VJ. Like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> mashup. It was really, um, and yeah, I thought like he's just like, that just one little like freak out. And he just sort of held that really well. Um, I thought he held his dialogue scenes quite well. Like yeah. I still felt that table tennis one, he was the weaker of the two, but yeah. um, mostly because Carol... Um, Candy Clark. Yeah, Candy Clark was doing a really good job there, I thought. Mm. It's one where I think having this kind of... He presents very vulnerable, yeah. which I think is really important for the character. Yep. Like it, it's Spot on. Someone who's out of their element, out of their world. Mm. And having that kind of innate childlike nature that Bowie automatically yeah. has and this kind of impish wonder, mm. you're just, and vulnerability, you're like, yep. I connect and understand and this completely. Because like the direction I'm assuming, or maybe he just made, he didn't try to overact anything. He just, just went for it. And that way, if, you know, if he was sort of maybe out of his acting depth, you never noticed because it matched the character. Yeah. Perfectly. Um, uh, some alternate casting uh, on that similar kind of mm. note of, having someone with that innate kind of vulnerability in their kind of physical present, uh, like, yeah, physical present, that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it was originally intended for Peter O'Toole. Oh, yeah, okay, tall, slim. Yeah, yep. and just kind of very, the demure kind of voice. Yes, like, yeah. and not American. Yeah, it would yeah. have been really interesting, uh, whereas the film finances uh, wanted Robert Redford. Oh, no. Yeah, no. Oh, no, no disrespect no, no. to Robert Redford, but just wrong but casting. No, you don't, that's movie star of just like, you mean to tell me that the fuel yeah. sit You're like, no, 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 no. No, no. no. Um, plenty of other roles for Robert Redford. Yes, um, <laughs> especially which, around this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Peter O'Toole, that would have been fascinating. I know, right? I saw that and it was just like, eh, initially, we, but then thinking about it, it's like, that, that could have been yeah, good. Bring in a seriously talented actor to play that role. Yeah. Or it, bring yeah. in a guy who would probably play an alien beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> And um, and don't even have to put contact lenses in. Exactly, which is, as, as you pointed out, they're really focused on his eyes a bit. I know he is just David Bowie is an alien, so just mm. point the camera and go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he's very good, and it's 
it's one where I understand the cult following behind this film 100%. Definitely, um, yeah. You know, it, it's not exactly the most in, enjoyable movie to No, not watch. particularly. You don't sit back and cheer or get really happy at certain moments. It's or not one where it. you're like, it's Friday night, I'm going to put on The Man Who Fell to Earth. <laughs> no, not probably not. No, but it, but it is an interesting one to kind of seek out and give a yeah. look at. And if for nothing else, it being that kind of Rosetta Stone of Bowie's acting career, mm. um, it's by no means... Uh, it'd be, I'd maybe put on the Mount Rushmore of like m- like rememberable performances by him. Yeah, because what else has he I mean, done besides the, Labyrinth? And Labyrinth is yeah. it. Like that's that's the one he like the acting performance he will be forever known as, yeah, and so he it. is so perfect at that. So the Mount Rushmore is just him as an alien and a Goblin King. Is pretty, that, is pretty that much. He's got a two face Mount Rushmore. I, I want to see what else, like <laughs> if there'd be any other. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not going to pretend to know if or what else he's been in. Like, I was saying that, and I'm like, it did take me a second to be like, oh, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, I would say, oh, okay. uh, yep. the Japanese POW movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you'd have to go that. Um, maybe him as Andy Warhol in Basquiat. Oh, I forgot he did that. Yeah. So the only other role I can think of is a cameo in Zoolander. I was, uh, also, <laughs> I've got the IMDb up now uh, as Nikola Tesla in uh, The Prestige. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's like my ultimate disappointment of like, I mean, obviously a huge sadness that he passed away and things mm. but the fact that he died before twin peaks season three could come around and we couldn't have the return of philip jeffries like his character yeah from the that's right but it's like he's died so it's like oh well he's a giant tea kettle now it still makes sense but it's like oh that's david bowie but he's a kettle he's a kettle <laughs> yeah um yeah looking through i uh, yeah basquiat He's he's not uh, he's <laughs> as much as I love it like him as Pontius Pilate and Last Temptation of Christ just, no <laughs> no and similarly like the hunger I mean he's not in it enough like oh, I haven't seen it so seeing yeah. him as like an aging vampire <laughs> like yeah, yeah it, I mean, it's, that sounds like good casting to me but yeah but no he it's it's a good performance and yeah 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 definitely and yeah like I said first crack first go on screen yeah. um no he, he definitely holds up really really well and just yeah suits that little central vessel who just kind of wanders around with a mission but also out of place yeah um yeah it suits it really nicely Hmm. um and how did did you notice anything in particular i guess or really connect with anything from like a a visual style because obviously there's a bit of abstract here and there and yeah i mean it's one where like as you were saying there's a lot of gorgeous cinematography especially Mm. early on uh when he's first kind of discovering and wandering around uh new mexico um, but yeah, I mean, the, it's a very Nicholas Rogue film in the sense of he, he loves his awkward transitions. Yeah. Um, just a scene will just end and immediately we're onto something else. Yeah. Uh, loves his push-ins and like the yes. loves a zoom. Yep. <laughs> loves yep. a zoom for no reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, or a very obvious reason. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's very much wears its influence of 2001 on its sleeve. Um, yeah. With the, with the design in particular of that final kind of area where he's being held captive it's his bedroom thing yeah it just looks you get the 2001 like through you know through the black hole yeah. stuff happening and even similarly when it's some of the weirder kind of trippier sex scenes towards the end oh that kind of the editing style on that and the use of color and the flashing lights mm. and stuff it's it's very influenced by that kind of pop art style that emerged post 2001 so the uh the cap gun sex scene yes, yes. what a scene it's Kind of amazing. Yeah, like, so in, such an intriguing scene. Yeah. I, I just Shooting that would have been the 
that'd be bizarre. I, I, it's one like I'd kind of like to be a fly on the wall, yeah. but also not. Yes, both of those things. Yeah, like <laughs> Claire and I recently watched um, Basic Instinct, mm. um, and there's like the story that the sex scene, the main sex scene in that between Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas, took like five, seven days to shoot. Yeah. And whereas this one just looks like it took an evening and a couple of bottles of wine yeah. and a strobe light. Yeah, because um, Candy, she, you know, she's in full prosthetics and stuff. Yeah, and um, haven't just going. But, but then it. also fully naked. Both of them just full and flopping around. It, it's one where, like, I'm imagining it's a real sparse crew where you've got like some lighting people there yeah. to like, you know, turn the strobes and stuff on. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just Rogue behind the held handheld camera himself, just yeah, kind of. He knows how. Yeah, just yeah. kind of doing that and making it this weird it weirdly makes it intimate yes yeah. i think you're right like it was quite the a couple of wider shots but it was really close and then the co- relatively quick edits and things like that and um yeah yeah and then the little flashbacks later and actually it was during that wasn't it when you had flashbacks to their their first sexual encounter yes that was right, yeah it? with the lighting of the candles and that yeah. as you point out the amazing candle holders what a, what a candle <laughs> yeah they were cool mm. um and then you're just like, oh my gosh, she's so young. Yeah. And that was just like, oh, time has passed. Yes, exactly. We, like, we already sort of knew that, but just to kind of really go, it's just, yeah, it's a really powerful little moment. Like these guys have lived a life together, they essentially. Have. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can see why she's so upset um, and why it means so much to her, but this like timeless being. And how it like emotionally just broke her brain, essentially, mm. like the discovery of who and what he is. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, there's some really great stuff in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly the easiest of watches, though. No, no, yeah. it's not. It's very surreal and abstract at times yep. and does not hold your hand until some odd scenes where it decides to really hold your hand. Yes. Of like, sperm. Yeah. <laughs> get it? Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, I get do. It. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some very overtness there, but otherwise it's, it's, in, it's an interesting movie. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And um, I think just... The, the other thing that we haven't mentioned, as you point out, is those little like subtle drops of all the patents that he's mm. companies creating oh, yeah. along the way, like yeah. the record player that just plays off little spheres, mm. um, and then at the end when he um, stops for petrol at one of his petrol station sort of things, and I was like, oh my gosh, does Elon Musk want to be Tommy? Yeah, that like you, I'm like you pulled like, that out, and I, that like that was a round of applause moment. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, he just. He wants to be David Bowie in a movie. <laughs> yeah, like Elon Musk like sat down, watched this movie and was just like, that's it. That's what I want to be. This is my inspiration. I can do this. I yeah. know I can do this. I'm going to create technology. I'm going to be weird and emotionally, emotionally, emotionally non-engaged. And I also want to go to space. I want to go to space. <laughs> and we're going to legalize marijuana. Yeah. And I'm going to have a great time. And then, then I'm going to buy Twitter. Yeah. Because that's what Bowie would have done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Less said about Elon Musk. Yeah, the better at the moment. But, um, I just thought, yeah, no, like, that, that was an just, amazing I don't know, observation. I just really clicked at the petrol station with the branding. I'm like, oh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Did you have any other anything else on this one? I you don't think to? so. Like, I think yeah, talking about the main characters is really important, and we've done that. I think pretty well. Um, nah, and visually, like, I think we've got it. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it's it's yeah. a hard one to kind of narratively break down or examine I guess like yeah. normally with Lee and stuff we we go through beat by beat mm. what happens and in this one it's like I don't think yeah it, it's more it's it's Marbo it's the vibe yeah. <laughs> it's more about like the yeah the attachments and de- sort of stuff along the way and it's it's yeah. more of a journey than an actual story I don't know if that mm. makes sense but no, I um, get you yeah um that being said like I I love and appreciate you coming on and being the guest on this one 
But there was that little bit of me that was just like, fuck, I kind of wish Lee had seen this. Oh, I know. Me she, too. She'd kind I think she would hate it. Yeah, do you reckon? She, yeah. I reckon she would hate it, but she'd have a blast watching it. And th- that's it. She would openly be tearing the shit out of it. Yeah. Which would be, be kind of fun. I know. I know. It's a bit of a bit of a miss there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that's how I picture it. I'm like, I feel like she would have had a good time watching yeah. and a good time trying to wrap her head around it right now. But just not enjoyed it no. at all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but on that note, we should probably find out what we think someone else thinks this film's mm-hmm. about. All right, so that music, as always, means it is time again for... What's Cl- this movie about? Yeah! All right, so Claire, the movie this week is Nicholas Rogue's film... The Man Who Fell to Earth from 1976. I am holding up the Criterion cover for Claire to look at. Yes. It gives you nothing. <laughs> it, that's David Bowie, though. Yeah. Um, I believe it's pronounced Bowie. <laughs> that's a dumb joke. Thank you. Um, yes. So this, here we go. That then, looks like you're keeping it special. Yes. It's, it's very out of print. So it's, yes. Okay. Um... <laughs> You're stalling for time. Who fell to earth? And remember, David Bowie. What year? 1976, and it's by Nicholas Rogue, the director of Bad Timing. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Sort of, not really exactly. Even though I watched that. Um, Okay, so I feel like I've heard a little bit about this, and I know that David Bowie plays some specific. He doesn't – he likes to play very obscure weirdos. Okay. Yeah, so he loves to play a weirdo. He'll play a weirdo in Twin Peaks for David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He'll play a weirdo with Muppets. What's his? What's he called? Goblin King? Oh, in the Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. Jar- Jareth the Goblin King. Yeah. Sorry, I was still stuck on him being a weirdo in Twin Peaks. I'm like, nah, Agent Jeffries, he just well, had, no, he any, just, anyone that's He'd spent like... a lot of time in the Black Lodge. He was very fu- – <laughs> and then he gets turned into a tea kettle. I don't think it's his fault. Yeah, that's a weirdo. <laughs> anyone that says, yes, I'm working with David Lynch is a little bit on the weird side. <laughs> in in a good way. A I appreciate wonderful that. wonderful generalisation. Anyway, so, David Lynch – no, hold on. <laughs> David, David Bowie. Bowie, other David. So, Mr. Bowie, he is an alien. Okay. And he's fallen to Earth in a spaceship. Mm-hmm. And so imagine like a fantasy, dramatic version of like Mork and Mindy. So okay. So he falls to earth and not like E.T. finding like a new little best friend. He finds, you know, the person that's meant to be like his girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, so like they're falling in love, but at the same time he doesn't know how to do like human stuff. And at the end he feels so homesick that he goes home just like E.T. The, the end. The end. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say wrong. Okay. Kind of kind of right. Kind of. Mork and Mindy? <laughs> no. I mean, okay, what I'm before I read the back, all I'll say is like, yes, he's an alien who fall who crash lands on earth. Um 
He does meet a woman who is working as a uh, at a hotel, and they do become boyfriend, like they a long yeah. relationship and stuff together. Um, I have not read the synopsis. Yeah, I just made this up. But in the meantime, before he meets her, he um, goes forward and puts th- he puts forth a bunch of patents of alien technology and essentially becomes a billionaire to be able to have enough money to repair his spaceship and go back and things. Oh. And it, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird indictment on like capitalism and the industrial complex. And well, that yeah. sounds more like this type of Nicholas Rogue film. But yes, so you, you, you got kind of close with it. A bunch of patterns. I mean, there's a lot of male nudity in there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, like the previous Maybe I one. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very weird and trippy. But you, you kind of got some of the key elements there. Yay! I had. He I doesn't feel go- like I'd heard about the word alien before. Yeah. But I made the rest up. He doesn't. He doesn't go back home at the end. He just becomes an alcoholic. I mean, and that's real home depressed. For some <laughs> so well done, Claire. The. All right, so uh, that is what Claire thought the film was about. Uh, we don't know. I haven't, we haven't recorded that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Eric, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about this movie? All of the trivia. All of the trivia. All the trivia. Uh, so the film was nominated for the Golden Bear at the 1976 Berlin Film Festival, uh, and David Bowie won the Saturn Award for Best Actor. Uh, the Saturn Award yeah. are like the sci-fi horror kind yes, of Yes, of course, yep. Yeah. Uh, novelist Walter Tevis described the story as... A very disguised autobiography. Three features of Tevis's life influenced the film. His long periods of sickness during his childhood, which confined him to bed, his battle with alcoholism, and his family's move from urban San Francisco to rural Kentucky. Yeah, okay. Because I was just, yeah, watching it, I'm like, is this meant to be more about Bowie himself or something? That's cool. All right, yeah. interesting. Uh, on Bowie, uh, Bowie has uh, said of the film in a Kurt Loder interview uh, from 1983 in a Rolling Stone issue, mm-hmm. I'm so pleased that I made that movie. I didn't really know what was being made at all. Uh, further in the article, uh, further in another article uh, for Movie Line magazine, Bowie said, I threw my real self into the movie at- uh, as I was at the time. It was the first thing I'd ever done. I'd vir- I was virtually ignorant and estab- of the established procedure of making movies. So I was going on a lot of instinct, and my instincts were pretty dissipated. <laughs> I learned the lines for the day and then did them as the way I was feeling, and it wasn't that far off. I was actually feeling as alienated as the character was. It was a pretty, it was a pretty natural performance, a good exhibition of someone literally falling apart in front of you. I was totally insecure with about 10 grams of cocaine in me a day. <laughs> God. Wow. Uh, I was stoned out of my mind from the beginning to end. Um, it's real Dennis Hopper style. Yeah. So, uh, and then he said of him and uh, Nicholas, working with Nicholas Rogue, yep. uh, that they got on rather well. And I think I was fulfilled what he needed from me for that role. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was very eager to please, and amazingly enough, I was able to carry out everything I was asked to do, and I was quite willing to stay up as long as anybody. I, mean, I think 10 grams of cocaine is going to help. I just can't believe people can remember their lines at all, like even get close to them. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I love it. It's like, got close enough. Yeah, I got, you know, it was fine. It was just, yep. yeah, but it's that 10 grams a day. Like, that's. I'm no expert, but that Insane. sounds like a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> David Bowie, man. Oof. And, I mean, Rip Torn looked pretty drunk for most of it too, so he yeah. might have been engaging in some I'm things. Sh- I'm sure it was a very snowy set. <laughs> that scene in the desert where they clearly both just oh. hung out in the trailer beforehand. 
Yeah, and it's them like sitting around the campfire in the desert, and you just yeah, you just chimed in. It's like, how long does peyote last? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, according to costume designer uh, Mary Routh, David Bowie was so thin that some of the clothes that he wore in the film were children's boys' clothes. Like the collots. Yeah, and also like the tiny t-shirts and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the suits that David Bowie wore were designed by Ola, Ola Hudson, um, and it's her only screen credit. Uh, Hudson is the mother of rock guitarist Saul Hudson, better known as Slash. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> um, this, this I th- thought was really interesting. Nicholas Roy wanted to get rid of any sense of time in the movie. Ah, yeah, okay. Uh, because it, it's surprising how often people mention it in their lives. However, one reference uh, almost got past him until the cutting stage when he suddenly noticed the line, I've been here three months already. And so he had the line overdubbed and removed. Nice. Well, good pickup. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David Bowie worked on the soundtrack, but uh, that was rejected. <laughs> uh, which at this point we didn't bring up the soundtrack no, there was a didn't. lot of interesting music happening yeah, in really this was. one uh, the, the music was uh, coordinated by I think he has a credit as a music director of the film yep. uh, was John Phillips I saw his name in the credits yeah, yeah okay. uh, who you would know as uh, one quarter of the mamas and the papas really yeah oh, so, awesome mm, as well as uh, working on some of the stuff was uh, Rolling Stones guitarist Mick Taylor Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a bunch of people kind of all contributing and stuff, but with uh, John Phillips as the kind of musical director kind of yep. creating all of that. Yep, curating and creating. Yep. Mm. So interesting, good stuff. Yeah. Um, while they were editing the film, though, uh, the film was temporarily scored using Pink Floyd's uh, Dark Side of the Moon. I thought I heard some clocks and chimes at well, one point. When he escapes the room, is where I was just about I was to like, be like, I wanted to lean over you and be like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, is Floyd going to kick in now? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'd mentioned about uh, Robert Redford and Peter O'Toole. Some mm-hmm. other alternate casting. James Mason was considered for the part uh, that Buck Henry played. Oh, okay. Yep. James Mason. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and James Coburn was approached to, uh, about playing Bryce, uh, Rip Torn's part, mm-hmm. but ultimately the production simply couldn't afford him, an actor with such a name at the time. Fair. Yep. So, Yeah. Uh, that's about it for trivia. That's some good trivia, though. Yeah, yep. some interesting stuff mm. on this one. Uh, did you have a tagline? I actually do. I was like, this is one of my first priorities watching this film. I've got to have a tagline. So, Ziggy Stardust and the mumbling pervert from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty wonderful. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Yeah. Uh, mine is a similar, like, riffing on a Bowie song, and it's uh, Moon Age... Uh, I, need to get, I need to get the wording on right. Moon Age Day Drunk. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah. done. Uh, <laughs> spot on. Yeah. But I'll quickly go into the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, this is a rare one. This has been out of print for quite a few years. Now. I'd say going on, like, 10 years now. Wow. Um, but if you're able to track down, uh, and they're, like, super expensive and tough to get yeah but if you're able to get a copy uh it comes with an audio commentary by rogue and actors david bowie and buck henry oh, new awesome. video interview with screenwriter paul mazerberg mm-hmm. uh performance new video interview with candy clark and rip torn audio interviews with costume designer mary routh and production designer brian eatwell 
uh, audio interview from 1984 with author Walter Tevis, conducted by Don Swain. Multiple stills, galleries, and blah, blah, blah. Gallery of posters for all of Nicholas Rogue's films. Trailers. I would say, this is where I'd say the usual booklet and essay the Criterion usually do, but it also comes with a copy of Walter Tevis' original novel. Whoa. Yes. No wonder it's out of print. Yes. <laughs> I, I am lucky enough to have a copy of this. Do you really? Yes, I do. <laughs> I didn't even pay attention to that. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to spy on that later. Yep. So, <laughs> mine's actually still uh, sealed, actually. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Mr. Collector. I got that when I was working at the uh, the DVD store. Yeah. And when it... I, it was a luxury of working at an import DVD store. And when things would be announced, they're going out of print. I'm like, I'll take oh, that I'll off the it. shelf and buy that one, please. Yep. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, that was The Man Who Fell to Earth. Any final thoughts? No, nah, like, like I said, don't watch the trailer. It's garbage. Just yeah. watch the movie. Just just dive in. Give it a go. It's it's not for everybody, no. but there's some interesting stuff in yeah. there. And it's not as surreal as you might imagine. Yeah. Like, it's not that wacky. No, no. But it doesn't have, like, a, this super obvious plot. So just, just get involved and prepare for some... Just, just some yeah. weird entertainment. Just let the to- like kind of the vibe of it kind of wash over yep. you, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for jumping on the episode. No, glad we could make it happen. Yeah, very, very good to be. At the good desk. to have you back. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to get you on again for some more episodes coming up. Yep. Uh, yep. But speaking of which, it's uh, with any luck, we should have Lee back after next episode, mm. which is a Jean Renoir's film, Bodu Saved from Drowning. Okie doke. It's about a uh, <laughs> drunken old man who like uh, tries to kill himself in a river. Yep. And then uh, this young woman saves him mm-hmm. and like then feels responsible and like takes him home and then he systematically starts to he's like, Oh, you probably should have just died. You're really annoying and oh, tough God. to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Kind of a kind of a comedy. What so, y- what year is it from? Um I don't have it in front of me, but thirties. Okie doke, yeah. yeah. Cool. For a French film from the thirties. Yep. Yeah, so we've got that next episode. But in the meantime, I think on the day, it, like if I put this out on Wednesday as it normally would, yep. um, it's going to be the same day as our new commentary on the Patreon. Yeah, uh, it's Lee and I at the moment. We're going through some of our guilty pleasure films. <laughs> so we actually sat down and recorded a commentary for three hours twenty minutes of Titanic. How drunk were you by the end? Bone sober. What? Yeah, we, we hear us eating a lot of like chips and yeah, stuff. Yeah, fair um, enough. But no, it was. I think I had a can of Coke and like two coffees. <laughs> nothing like the Wes Anderson one. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we were bone sober for this one. So yeah, we um, yeah. So that'll be How intriguing. Cool. We, we we had a blast doing it. It was really fun. Like obviously yep. for three hours, there's a lot of fun tangents and stuff. So, yep. but that's uh, that'll be coming out on the first of this of. June, June. yeah. yeah. So if you want to have a listen to that, head over to the Patreon, and uh, we, you know, appreciate the support from everybody there. But otherwise, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail dot com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd. All that stuff's in the episode description and things. But Eric, thank you very much for joining. No worries. No, it was uh, it was good to be there, and I'm looking forward to seeing my tagline on Instagram. Yeah, it'll be good. I'll see what I can do with the photoshops. Vote, people, vote. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Eric. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>